Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. My name is Wesley. I am an investigative journalist. And today my interview subject is my little sister. Iris. And today we are discussing a movie from 2022, She Said. Who said? She Said. Which I assume is a play on He Said, She Said, and the dialogue or the accusations hurled between these ladies and Harvey Weinstein, but this is their story. Because Harvey Weinstein, when he does show up at the New York Times office, doesn't actually speak. We just get that long push in on Gary Mulligan's face, staring him down. Yep. So let's get right into this. How many times during the course of She Said did you say, whoa, that's so-and-so? <laughs> I definitely said it for Samantha Morton. You can't really say that about Gwyneth Paltrow or Rose McGowan because we don't really get a glimpse of Gwyneth Paltrow or Rose McGowan. So we didn't see Gwyneth Paltrow's face. That was her voice. However, while Rose McGowan was happy to participate, that was not her voice on the phone. She didn't want it to be her voice. So that was acted by another actress. But we had uh, obviously Naomi Judd, who we haven't really seen for a while. And uh, Andre Brower, who's been in a bunch of, of movies. I was most shocked by Patricia Clarkson. So great. Of The Green Mile, who I hadn't seen, you know, in The Station Agent, who I hadn't seen kind of a long time. She like returned in stunning fashion jewelry. I was very happy about Zoe Kazan, who I love from The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, and What's Her Nuts, who's been around for a long time. What's Her Nuts meaning Carrie Mulligan? Yeah, The Promising Young Woman. Yep. The last film in which our discussion offended listeners so much, though, that they stopped subscribing to or whatever movies. But did we lose some? You admitted in our poster quote that men really were that gross. It's true. Was I wrong? She said doesn't seem to think so. <laughs> So do you think that this is a movie that would have benefited from consolidating characters? Like if we had made Megan Toohey and and Jodie Cantor like an amalgamation character, like just one brunette? No, let them have their heroism moment. Uh, it, it was necessary for exposition between the two of them, but um, some of the defendants, of which there were many, it seems like this went to considerable pains to represent everyone. How do you consolidate characters when you're when you're adhering so kind of closely to the truth the, the number of defendants who came forward and courageously and all that stuff 
I don't think that it was essential for us to know all their names and all their stories. We might have consolidated it into three or maybe four really hard-hitting people who contributed to the article being written. Mm-hmm. But we had everyone. And having backstory on some of these people, you added like another third of the cast. It's like more people. The cast on this movie is vast and probably contributed in no small part to its $32 million estimated budget. Yeah. $32 million for what is not a special effects or visual effects heavy film. What is a That is a very grounded drama that really plays down the fact that it's set in New York and that these journalists are investigating pretty much internationally. Um, it was globetrotting, man. It, we were in London. We were in Hong Kong or Thai, where, Hong Kong, right? I think so. And we had a pirate ship or a... Uh, <laughs> I don't know who it was. (laughs) But what Weinstein Company movie was that that they were filming? I don't know. I mean, it's far and wide. Weinstein, I think I've said it on record before, is a great producer. He's the true modern champion of independent cinema and made fantastic movies. So much that Meryl Streep, she thanked God, meaning Harvey Weinstein. And, uh, you know, he was instrumental in getting some of these non-studio movies uh, some recognition really great producer and it's uh, it's really unfortunate that he seems like a horrible human being but i owned countless weinstein movies uh, between him and miramax oh oh, between the weinstein company and miramax ben are produced films Kelly Ray owns a Weinstein movie. She owns Shakespeare in Love. Oh, right. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. That was the film where he harassed Gwyneth Paltrow? I think it was maybe the only one that they worked on. But that does lead me to my next question. We had everybody and their mom on the long list of accusers, but there were some omissions. Uh, Mira Sorvino, who was on par with Ashley Judd for being a darling and then her career kind of going nowhere because she refused his advances. Uh, Nowhere to be found. Name never so much as mentioned. Uh, Despite the fact that this is a Plan B Brad Pitt movie, uh, it was not mentioned that Brad Pitt confronted him for harassing his then-girlfriend, Gwyneth Paltrow, and said, I will kill you if you ever come near her again. Wow. And, like, was ready to throw down. And so even way back in the 90s, there were plenty of Harvey Weinstein accusers. Courtney Love, the train wreck of all celebrities, uh, they asked her for a statement or some advice for young musicians or people coming up in Hollywood, and she said, if Harvey Weinstein invites you to a private party at the Four Seasons, don't go. Mm. And this was like 20 years ago. Probably more. And and then uh, Asia Argento. Do you know about Asia Argento? Tell me. I think she was. She's an Italian actress. She has that dumb tattoo on her belly, and she was in a triple X movie and stuff. And she's a director and an actor, particularly in Italy, daughter of Daria Argento. I think she was one of the primary accusers of legitimate rape that contributed to his ultimate incarceration. And her name is nowhere to be found. And I think it is a purposeful omission because a year after those allegations, she herself was accused and later confirmed that she had a relationship with a 17-year-old boy when she was 37. Oh. This is like a kid who played her son in one of her movies, and then when he grew up, she boned him. And so that put a black stain. Initially, Rose McGowan supported her and drew a lot of criticism by saying, hey, we don't know what the story is. Just be cool and we'll figure it out. And then later when she admitted it and they found out that there was this big settlement of like 370,000 or something paid to the kid, then Asia Argento lost a lot of her credibility, particularly in, in opposition to Harvey Weinstein. So obviously they can take some liberties. And I think maybe trimming down the cast to several key important figures, I think, may have helped this movie 
movie. Because at one point, Jody got on the phone and said, hey, Ashley. And I was like, who the hell is Ashley? <laughs> and it was Ashley Judd, who's like the most important, recognizable among, <laughs> right? Who appeared on camera multiple times. Yes. I lost the thread a little bit. And I wonder if that does this movie a disservice. I think that this movie could have used some tightening to make it clearer because trying to track, which I think is what I spent a majority of my time doing, was a little tiresome. Yeah. And maybe that was by design. These investigative reporters are tracking down every possible lead, many of which are dead ends, but they succeed in getting enough to write the story, to have a a publishable story, at least according to their editors. So maybe it was a little bit intended for us to feel the plight of the journalists who are just grinding out this story. Maybe there was such a wealth, too, of evidence, of information, of people coming forward. We wanted to get that sense that it's just left and right and can't be. Yeah. It can't be a collaboration or three people or whatever who have decided to bring down Harvey Weinstein. That makes sense. Carrie Mulligan did work with Harvey Weinstein. There's a picture of them together, her being painfully young and him being all smiling and ugly and stuff. And uh, Smiling and ugly and stuff. But her character, Megan Toohey, she's not crucial specifically against Weinstein. And I wondered why you thought that was. First ended up being about Donald Trump, and then it was about someone else, and then it sw- it pivoted to Weinstein. And she had a couple of misgivings. At one point, she was like, is this the best use of our time? Mm. Why do you think they put that forward? I mean, this seemed like a hot story. This seemed like everything that she wanted to achieve. Why didn't she embrace it? She Like, was she just a crusader in general for the topic? It seemed like the Jodie Cantor character approached her because of her experience in this genre. I don't know. How do you what do you call it? I read her hesitancy to be like, is there a there there? And some of the incredulousness that comes when you're kind of when you're approaching the topic, but also that she had kind of been there and had received some backlash regarding the Trump stuff. You know, maybe she was a little gun shy to kind of jump back into the trenches They also set up and followed for a little bit their nearly identical husbands. (laughs) And they showed, you know, first she was pregnant, but she said, you know, oh, the morning sickness is supposed to stop after the first trimester. Bam! She's got a baby. And I was like, that was super quick. Okay. And then they showed her kind of really upset and having her doubts like the postpartum depression thing. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a curious note of backstory or realism for the character that almost undermined her pavement-pounding investigative journalist thing. Undermined her or humanized her? Humanized for sure, but I wonder what purpose it served in the story because I got a vague notion from her that she was separate. She even disappeared for a good part of the movie at one point. And Zoe Kazan's character was the one who got consistently emotional. So she got, Ashley Judge said she was going to moving be moving forward with it on the record. And I was like, oh, I thought she always was. But that put the Jody character, the, then the tears came. And she went to Patricia Clarkson and was like, David says we can use his allegation of 10 to 12 settlements. And then they like were crying and hugging and stuff. Like Jody seemed much closer to it on a personal, emotionally engaging level. Yeah, she might have been simply more available. And it was a little bit her story to start. 
I also wonder if, um, you know, as a mom that was maybe a little bit out of the woods, she was able to really tackle this, whereas Megan Tui did have an infant at home. I went to the pre-release screening of She Said with the Q&A with Dee Dee Gardner, and afterward, someone from the audience asked why the filmmakers decided to portray the home lives of the two journalists, uh-huh. basically saying that if they were men, they wouldn't have, and that the home life aspect would have been irrelevant. And I think that Dee Dee Gardner and the other panelists' response was like, okay, it's, it's, it's actually the opposite. Like, we're trying to normalize these women as parents, but whether you're a man or a woman, your home life, it's a part of you as a fully formed human being. And that it's actually kind of sexist to say that they shouldn't portray the home lives of these two female lead investigative journalists and but also we're so not used to seeing that i mean these you can't say all like curly brown haired jewish men are identical but (laughs) these men i i was like bothered by how these men were simply functions of their wives It it felt emasculating to me but then I was like, wait a second, this is how every wife is portrayed in every, ma- in every movie where the male is the lead. It was subverting our, our expectations and kind of misdirecting us from how women and men are typically portrayed. I think you're right. Because the one guy was holding the baby and then they were in bed and, he, and the baby was like cuddling up to the dad. I was like, since when in movies? Yeah, or the young one starts to cry and then the older one says, Mommy! And then both parents get up and tend to the kids. On that note, did you get the vibe that Rowena's husband, Mr. Chung, was weird like and threatening? Like Because the score suggested that Jody was in real danger. The movie was always trying to be a thriller. It really was, like consistently. Right, and maybe that's where they dug in a little too deep or took the, took it a little too seriously. He was upset and aggravated, for sure. And I question whether morally the Jodie Cantor character crossed a line, a journalistic line, by kind of disclosing this very personal information. Yeah, even to the, the uh, CFO. And she was like, what allegations? The wife? Yeah. Megan put him totally on the spot. And I was like, ooh. And that doesn't mean that he's not complicit or accountable in some respects. But still, to be called out in front of your wife decades later, I was like, ooh, that poor dude. Yes. And that poor husband to kind of have that information just laid out there for him. But to answer your question, I don't think he was getting aggressive toward her. Do you think that there were any moments where they were in real peril, where Jody's walking down the street and the car swoops by and it was going to be like Weinstein thugs hopping out? And like, uh, there, allegedly there was, I, I don't know how far this goes, but I did hear that there was a considerable amount of money put out to in, in one country or another to anyone who could stop the investigation in its tracks. Now, I don't know what that implies, but it did seem like Harvey Weinstein used nefarious channels to maybe try to suppress the story. Oh, he like put out a hit? I mean, he was the Suge Knight of, of uh, independent. And so I guess that leads me, segues into our my next question. What, in your opinion, is Harvey Weinstein's power? I mean, in the movie and outside, they talked about how it was crazy to bring down someone of this level with this kind of power. How do you even begin to crack that exterior to bring someone like this down? Like if you're not an actress who he's, you know, set his sights on and your reputation is in danger or you might never work in entertainment again, what power does Harvey Weinstein wield over Jody and Megan? Hmm. Because he seems like 
deep down, I mean, he's got money and money can can buy hitmen and intimidation tactics and stuff. But Suge Knight actually kills people. Harvey is just like a sad, ugly fat dude. Well, I think his influence was far reaching because we often blur the line between news and entertainment. Um advertising and entertainment like I'm sure his influence reached into journalism right but he ultimately didn't wield enough power to stop them or to like to intimidate them to the point where they where they stopped I mean I see I can totally understand his power within the realm of Hollywood right it's all about relationships he can make or break your career with a with a phone call Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. I mean, I wasn't... I don't know that I was ever really serious about acting, but I think a big part of my turning away from that early on was like, yeah, I don't think I've got what it takes to to go all the way. And I'm thinking specifically about the cast, the infamous casting couch. That's not to say that people didn't try. There were some weird instances for sure. Stallone wanted you in his grand banana room. <laughs> not, not Stallone, Seagal. Yeah, but didn't you meet Stallone there too? Well, yes, I met Sloane, I met Schwarzenegger, but it was it was ultimately Steven Seagal who read my palm in an interview and said that we were meant to work together. Yeah. Yep. And then I had all all kinds of other workplace me too moments, so it's not like I've avoided this horrible systemic problem in our industry. But I do think that was part of making this a thriller because the score consistently suggested and it seemed like they were in real danger and they were more emotional maybe than I would have expected. But really, there wasn't much that he could do. He could intimidate them, which I think is his power. But Andre Brower, for example, he's like, no, Harvey, I got to I gotta go. Bye. And we'll just <laughs> hang up on him great? and stuff. Wasn't that great? Yeah. So satisfying. Uh, it's a privilege of a dude to realize that he is not intimidating. And I think that was kind of the point for him. Like, he, I've dealt with him before. Put him through. And he wasn't going to be intimidated. Whereas these ladies really had all the power in the situation, even even if they went by their means uh, a little uncertainly, you know, just knocking on people's doors. And uh, she didn't say it, but it was almost like, look, will you talk to me woman to woman? You know, Mm. like there was just no like Andre Brower can't show up and be like, you want to tell me about this alleged rape? (laughs) No, it it wasn't going to work. And they they needed everyone they could get. And without the legitimacy of Ashley Judd's name or Gwyneth Paltrow's name or people like that, maybe the article wouldn't have flown in the first place. It seemed like they just barely made it. Just, you know, get more. We need more. Okay, we have enough. Let's go. It's time to publish. His guilt wasn't as clear as the movie established for us. Because I'm pretty sure, especially considering Harvey Weinstein was convicted of like 23 years, Mm. you know, a few years.
years ago. And this year he had like another 20 some years added to his sentence. Yep. In, in California. Yeah. And then new, new charges levied against him. If he has, if those all come to convictions, it could be like another 140 years. Oh my gosh. It's so excessive. And the only reason that that's even kind of funny in its excessiveness is because Harvey Weinstein was probably going to be in prison for the rest of his life with the original sentence. Anyway, right. Now he's serving multiple life sentences. Yeah, you can, you know, even running concurrently or whatever, one life sentence is enough. And 23 years for Harvey Weinstein is probably a life sentence. So what did you think of the recording, the hallway scene with the audio recording? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm of the personal opinion that while this guy's voice might have been spot on, the voice actor who played Harvey Weinstein was not as convincing as whoever played Trump. And the guy that played Trump, as a matter of fact, he's on Saturday Night Live now playing Trump after Alec Baldwin stopped. The Trump guy was great. That was pretty good. Uh, Harvey Weinstein, he may have been authentic, but I'm not sure that that guy was a good actor wait, or wait, a wait. voice actor. Are you talking about the stand-in for Harvey Weinstein or the voiceover? Because the voice was the actual Sting and actually Harvey Weinstein. That's my question. Not the speakerphone conversation with Andre Brower in the room where he's yelling mm -hmm. about Gwyneth Paltrow, but the slow the slow tracking down the hallway in the hotels as if that that's where it took place, you know, the his coercions and stuff. That audio recording was that legitimate? A hundred percent. How do you know that? It well, we should corroborate that as responsible journalists. <laughs> but um, they discussed it at the Q&A, that it lended all this kind of authenticity. That was legitimate harassment. It wasn't enough to move the needle on that particular indictment or whatever you call it, but that was legit, dude. It was a part of the New York City Police Department police report filing. When one of the characters who, is, who they talk about a lot, and she said, wore a wire and attempted to go undercover and... And it was a it was a legit Weinstein sting. That's fascinating. It was re it's a real get, right? So the whole time they're like, okay, somewhere in the movie we got to put this legitimate audio recording, which is pretty damning evidence. That said, if that audio recording were the result of a movie production, I'd be like, that was terrible, mm. because. He is such a doofus and like, no, just come back in the room with me. It felt, it sounded staged mm. and its legitimacy as an audio recording is really its only redeeming feature mm. because it, it was unclear and it was real, but he's such a dork and, <laughs> and I don't know. She, She's just like, I am uncomfortable. And he's like, I got it. I'll never touch you again. Come in the room so I can touch you. It was oh, weird. It, it is. And it's it's so awkward because she's like, you touched my breast. And he's like, yeah, I'm used to that. It was like, oh, the whole thing is just. <laughs> right. it's, it's like if someone wrote that, they'd be like, this is not this doesn't feel realistic. Yeah. Truth, stranger than fiction moment. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny that you think he's like a dork and a doofus and not smooth. Like, is he supposed to be charming? Uh, I just I know this kind of dude. I know the the dude that's like he's maybe good professionally or he has good instincts, but I think he was severely deficient in being able to court or woo women or appeal to them honestly and not creepily. I mean, he had to have been kind of normal enough. He w he was married for a long time, twice. He had five kids. I don't think he was consistently gross in the family, but I think the people have are two-faced. I've definitely known people who were who considered themselves good husbands and family men 
and were inexcusably horrendous in the workplace. So would it be accurate to say that you are a little resistant to watching She Said? Yeah, so it's a talkie and uh, post Oscars, especially because this movie, number one, like women talking, bad year for Plan B or at least for Dee Dee Gardner. As much as I liked women talking and she said, these two movies, the bulk of Plan B slate for 2022, didn't make a dollar. Like, I think that company was in the red this past year. So I wonder if this movie being about the ugly side, the the uh, gross underbelly of movie making was to its detriment. Were the Oscars, uh, f- you know, who famously handed out many statues to Weinstein Productions, were they a little bit shy about embracing this movie? Is making a movie about how terrible Hollywood is a good idea? Is it financially responsible? Is it a good investment? I'm not sure. I was resistant, mostly because it it wasn't nominated and that was kind of our focus for award season. We covered all the best picture contenders, but I didn't want it to be an investigative journalism talkie like The Post. I, I saw it and I was like, message movie. Wow, that's terrible. So what's next? Like I was afraid that she said was going to be almost a documentary retelling, promising young woman style. So whatever the case, I didn't end up seeing it. <laughs> we got home and I was like, hey, we got to watch that movie tonight because I got to I got to talk about it tomorrow. And Kelly was like, OK. And it was like 845, almost nine o'clock when we started and we're old. So we go to bed early. And afterwards, she was like, that was really good. Wow. And I was like, yeah, thanks for watching a movie with me late kind of last last minute. And she's like, sometimes you make me watch good ones. And so she embraced it and she really liked the female centric, you know, hard hitting journalism kind of thing where they were relentless and got the story that they needed and ultimately affected real change. You know that Jody and Megan won the Nobel Prize for public service. It wasn't for journalism or anything based on their New York Times article and, and possibly their subsequent book, she said. Yeah, they broke the story that started a movement. Definitely one of the biggest movements of our generation. Yeah, and all this stuff, the intimacy coordinators, the sexual harassment training and seminars, all this extensive uh, these safeguards put in place are industry standard now. Yeah. It's completely changed the industry, hopefully for the better, which brings me to my final question. The go-to line for Megan Toohey is, look, we can't change the past, but we can use your experience to help others in the future. That's a little bit of a uh, paraphrase. Does this movie succeed being what is it has to be considered a box office at least failure, an awards contender failure? Will this movie help people? Because she, as Megan said multiple times, I worry whether or not this makes a difference. Well, listen, you're a fan of Plan B, and Plan B is nothing if it's not fearless, right? They tackle some of the hardest subjects out there. It doesn't help that she said wasn't a box office success. I think it was arguably a critical success. I think it would have helped more movies like this come to light, more issues like this come to light. But that being said, on a micro level, I definitely think She Said helps. I think stories like She Said help give people the language necessary to express themselves or to expose others or to expose problems within their own industries, right? Because entertainment is really just a, a, is just one vertical, one example of how sexual harassment and other sexual misconduct, misconduct is rampant in the professional world. 
Um, so whether it kind of helps in the macro level, you know, I don't really know, but probably this is just another way to reach the audience. I consider myself pretty culturally plugged in, but I didn't read the book. I haven't read the the articles. I saw the movie and I feel <laughs> like, um, and it reached me in a way. So I, I can't really speak to if she said it was a good business decision. But I don't think that's the metric by which Plan B and these filmmakers make films. Well said. And yet non-committal. So now you have to commit to a rating for She Said. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for all intents and purposes, we have a thumbs up and thumbs down system, right? Yep. What did I give Dark Waters? Does I don't know why you're waffling. I don't know why it matters. <laughs> I, I don't recall. <laughs> They're message movies, and I think we gave universally to movies like Dark Waters, The Mauritanian, I almost said The Mandalorian, (laughs) uh, The Torture (laughs) Report, Uh, all very important messages. Execution, not always faultless, but still good intentions, and and intentions go a long way. Yeah, this is one of those weird movies that defies my rating system because it's so procedural and dry in places that it it that it verges on boring. But there's nothing about the message and the story that's boring. So I have to give she said a good. I will definitely give it an above the line rating of all right. I think it was as you put it, maybe a touch pedestrian. It was thoroughly investigative, maybe a little bit dry, a little bit of an oversaturation of characters and people to keep track of. Uh, we needed like one of those boards with the lines radiating and how everybody's connected. Yeah, but whatever. It works fine. And uh, definitely I'm glad that I saw it. I'm sad that I waited so long to see it. And I'm sad that the Academy, as well as moviegoers, kind of thoroughly overlooked this movie. It's streaming now on Peacock and uh, hopefully people are paying attention to Peacock to stream it because I do think it is well worth watching. And that's our discussion on 2022's She Said by Plan B Pictures and directed by What's Her Nuts? whose picture whose I've never seen anything this woman has done except that she was brief she briefly appeared in a movie I saw 12 years ago at Telluride called In Darkness as an actress about uh, Polish Jews hiding underground directed by Maria Schrader and brought to you our discussion in the future Nobel Prize winning hard-hitting podcast or whatever movies. Ooh, I like the sound of that. 818-835-0473 is our hotline or whatever movies at gmail.com is our email address. You can find us on Instagram and uh, if you go to our website you can find 200 plus more reviews. At some point we're going to have to change that to like 250 or 300 because I think we're rapidly narrowing in. What, what? So uh, thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels on this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcast. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Hey, it's Tim from 50 Years of Music with 50-Year-Old White Guys, the comedy podcast you had no idea you needed. Join Ben, Jeff, and me as we continue our musical road trip back through the years and around the globe. See, just when you thought all white guys were like Joe Rogan, you come across three educators trying to remember when we were cool. 50 years of music with 50-year-old white guys. Electric acid. 
Electricast.